Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today is the great feast of the baptism of the Lord. Here's the first thing to note about the baptism of Jesus. It was embarrassing. Embarrassing. The first Christians wanted to portray Jesus as the Son of God, as the fulfillment of the hopes of Israel, as the risen Lord. And so, why would he be seeking a baptism of repentance? That was just embarrassing. That's what John, of course, was offering. He was inviting the sinful to come out to him in the desert and to confess their misdeeds and be purified. So again, the problem, why would Jesus be seeking such a baptism? In fact, scholars use what they call the criterion of embarrassment to prove the historical facticity of this event. The argument goes that unless this event was obviously historical, they probably wouldn't have mentioned it. Okay, so what sense can we make of it? Does it in fact prove that Jesus was a sinner? Well, no. If Jesus was a sinner, he can't be the Savior because then he would stand in need of a Savior like the rest of us. If Jesus was a sinner, then Christianity falls apart, period. So, why would Jesus have engaged in this highly ambiguous act at the very beginning of his public life? He does it, I would say, in fact, to signal the entire purpose of his life and work. In many ways, the very embarrassment of Jesus' baptism is the whole point of it. As I've often said, we have a God who doesn't need anything. God is God, utterly perfect in himself. Therefore, all of God's acts in regard to us and the world are utterly gratuitous, generous, loving, Precisely because God doesn't need the world, when God relates to the world, he does so in pure love. He desires the good of the world for its own sake and not for his. See, it's just because we are so needy that we often play these games of competition, rivalry, striving to place ourselves above others, etc., etc. All the usual games of us sinners. But God doesn't play those games because he can't play them. All of God's dealings with us are utterly generous. And this means, listen, he can accept even humiliation in order to reach out to us in love. God can humble himself to this shocking degree. So what did the first Christians see in the baptism of Jesus? 
that God himself, incarnate in Christ, stoops low and enters into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan and stands side by side with sinners. Let that image stay in your minds a bit. That's the central image of this feast. God himself in Christ, stooping low, standing side by side with sinners. Anybody stopping by would see him and include him in the mass of pathetic penitence. He'd say, well, there is one more of those sinners. There'd be nothing spectacular about Jesus, nothing to draw their attention, just the opposite. He would be, to all appearances, one humble sinner among others. How wonderful, and the church fathers point this out, that this act corresponds to the end of Jesus' life, when he's nailed to a cross in between two sinners. Anyone walking by, in fact, they did say it, shaking their heads, taunting him, mocking him. There is one sinner among others. Well, so it goes with the humility of God. God stoops low in order to draw us to him. How basic this is, I think, to biblical religion. God does not wait for us to come crawling to him. If anything, and how almost blasphemous, how almost insulting this sounds, but God comes crawling to us. God does not pout or fall into a snit when we offend him. Rather, he patiently, with an infinite patience, comes to us sinners. You know how often in other you know, religious stories and myths and so on, you'll hear of the gods who are offended by our sin. They're hurt by it. They respond in anger, retribution. Not the God and Father of Jesus Christ who comes crawling to us, assuming our stance so that through this condescension we might assume his stance. Now, John the Baptist balks. And this, in fact, in itself is worthy of comment. John is the last of the prophets. He's the worthy successor of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. He's the last of the great seers. If anybody would get it, you think he would. If anybody would see the import of what Jesus was doing, you'd think John the Baptist would. And yet he balks. No, no, I, I should be baptized by you. Who are you to be coming to me? Here's what the church fathers saw. This reveals to us just how shocking and how unexpected the love of God is. Look at even the wisest philosophers, even the most perceptive of prophets, don't get it. They don't naturally grasp what God was doing in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. This humble condescension of God was opaque to even the wisest of human figures. That's why, in many ways, John's objection here is like Peter's 
balking at the Last Supper. Jesus there, once again, engages in a humiliating act, bending low to wash the feet of his disciples. As all the commentators point out, that's an act you wouldn't even ask your most menial slave to perform. That was considered below the level of even the slaves. But it's precisely what Jesus does. He goes under, yes, even the feet of his disciples and washes them in this great act of love. Well, like John the Baptist, Peter balks. Lord, no, no, I I won't let you do this. Even those most intimate to Christ didn't understand what he was about. That's how shocking this is. But the point is, God doesn't think the way we do. Thank God. God doesn't cling to his dignity and his prerogatives. Isn't it odd, Christians, how we do? We spend a lot of our time clinging to our titles, our privileges, what's due to us, what's coming to us. We like it when people show a certain obeisance to us. Oh, but look, I'm not going to come crawling to you. I mean, we play that game all the time. But God doesn't. There's the good news of this feast. But God doesn't play that game. The words of Jesus to John are of great moment. So John is balked. John has said, no, I I don't want to do this. And Jesus says, let it be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. That's very evocative language. It's full of biblical resonance. Let it be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. The Greek word here is dikaiosune. It's a term that translates the Hebrew term mishpat, which runs right through the Old Testament. Mishpat, you might say justice. You might say order. What was the whole religious life of the Israelites about? It was about an attempt to restore order. Sin is a disordering of our relationship to God and to each other. It's a falling apart of creation. What God has wanted from the beginning is the restoration of mishpat, of dikaiosune, of righteousness, right order. How's it come? Not primarily through our efforts, as though we, through our heroic efforts, will reestablish the order of the world. We, by our great heroic acts, will make things right. No, no. Through God's condescension, through God's letting go, becoming humble and small, God, listen, going right in to the muck and the mud of our disorder and by his forgiveness remaking it. Let it be done, Jesus says, to fulfill all righteousness. The world is made right through the humility of God. We tend to see as good what God sees as off-kilter. We tend to see as off-kilter precisely what God sees as good. What we think of as a successful life, God sees as kind of a waste of time. 
The point is, the topsy-turvy quality of the baptism of Jesus corrects the topsy-turvy world of sin. Jesus appears at the Jordan as the one willing to perform this perfect sacrifice, this perfect act of reparation, this reestablishment of justice. Ah, how wonderful, Christians, that we don't do it, but God does. God sets right a world gone wrong, and he does it by stooping low into our dysfunction, into our fear, into our anxiety, into our failure, into our moral turpitude. God comes there with us, stands shoulder to shoulder with us, and sets us right by his love. Shift the metaphor a little bit. God cleanses the muck of this world with his own perfection and love. But see, in order to effect that cleansing act, he had to get down into it with us. If simply from the height of his heaven, God had said, well, all is right. Well, all wouldn't be right. St. Anselm said that. Anselm said, it's as though we're, we're a diamond made in the image of God, but we've fallen into the muck and mud of sin. Well, God from his heaven could have pronounced everything fine, but that wouldn't have accomplished anything. Instead, Anselm said, God went down to the bottom of that muck and mud, and he got that diamond and he brought it out. Well, that's what the baptism of the Lord means, I think, is God's willingness to enter into that state with us. And that's why this feast is a feast above all of great hope. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.